0: Welcome to Daily Drive for Thursday, October 6, 2022. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News.
1: And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show, a plan to keep the wheels from falling off Toyota's BZ4X, literally. The entry level price for Ford F-150 Lightning goes up again, and Honda cuts production in Japan by a lot. Plus, we'll hear from the head of our next energy, which just yesterday announced a $1.6 billion battery plant in Michigan. CEO Muji Bijaz says the company has ambitious targets for the cost of its battery cells. It's a significantly lower cost sell
2: than what is being offered in the market right now. And we think that will give us a leading
1: position in this factory. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry.
0: Toyota finally has a fix to keep the wheels from falling off its new BZ4X all-electric crossover. The embarrassing glitch forced the world's biggest automaker to recall the vehicle just two months after sales started, stalling the company's drive into electric vehicles. The callback also affected the Subaru Solterra, a mechanically identical EV sold by Toyota's partner. Globally, some 2,700 units of the BZ4X and 1,600 Solterras were affected, The fix involves adding a washer to the hub bolts and improving friction of the wheel surface. Production of the remedied BZ4X was set to resume today. Sales in Japan will restart October 26th, and the
1: company says U.S. sales will resume shortly. Ford is raising the starting price of its entry-level F-150 Lightning Pro trim for the second time in less than two months. The move comes as the automaker struggles with rising material costs and supply chain issues. The Pro Trim now starts at just under $54,000 with shipping. That's up $5,000 from the roughly $49,000 starting price that Ford announced in August. A Ford spokesman said the Pro Trim was the only model to see an additional increase for now. While supply problems cause Ford to boost prices,
0: they're forcing Honda to cut output. The automaker will reduce production at two Japanese plants by up to 40% for the rest of the month. Two lines at Honda's Suzuka plant in Western Japan will cut production by about 20% in October. Its assembly plant in Saitama Prefecture, north of Tokyo, will lower production plans by about 40% for the month. The automaker said last month it would cut vehicle production at Suzuka by 40% and Saitama by 30%. In early October, the output reduction will affect a number of vehicles, including the Civic.
1: And across the East China Sea from Japan, Volkswagen is planning a significant investment in a joint venture in China for software production. Sources with knowledge of the matter told Reuters that they expect an official announcement next week. Two sources said the investment would be more than a billion euros. VW makes about 40% of sales and half of its profits in China. Sources say the German automaker is waiting for the results of the elections taking place on Sunday in the German state of Lower Saxony before making an official announcement on the China investment. VW declined to comment. And those are today's headlines. Jamie Ford raising the price once again on its entry-level F-150 Lightning this was supposed to be the game changer truck when it came to price. (laughs) What happened, man? Yeah, it was
0: really hyped as, uh, as changing the game because you could have this super competent, capable, all electric pickup, full-size truck that can do everything uh, and not have any emissions. But, you know, it was always a little bit of a head fake, right? They sell about one third of the F-150 Lightnings are these pro trims that are really for work trucks. It's really important that they can demonstrate that they can be useful for work. But a lot of that price was subsidized by the higher end, uh, really tricked out versions that regular individuals can buy and more like $90,000 trucks. So it's just been a challenge for them to, you know, not lose too much money on those lower end versions. Here's another step trying to, you know, remedy that, but it really takes away some of that mythology around EVs being ready to do everything that a gas burning pickup can do.
1: Coming up, lots of talk yesterday about the big battery plant announcement in Michigan. Today, we'll hear from the CEO of Our Next Energy about the project and one's big plans to drive down the costs of its battery cells while extending range. That's next on Daily Drive. Hi, I'm Pete
2: Bigelow, host of Shift, podcast about mobility from Automotive News. Each week, I bring you a conversation with leaders who are on the cutting edge of transportation, like this one, with consultant and strategist Salika Josiah Talbot.
0: The technologists are forcing themselves in a space that they shouldn't be, and I think the social scientists and politicians are falling down on the job.
2: To hear more about the new technology and policy reshaping the way people and goods move around, join me on Shift. New episodes each Sunday on autonews.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. EV battery company Our Next Energy made a splash yesterday with the announcement of its $1.6 billion plant near Detroit. The company says its new factory, dubbed One Circle, will have an annual capacity of 20 gigawatt hours, enough to build about 200,000 battery packs a year. One is betting that its lithium iron phosphate battery cell chemistry will prove to be a hit for automakers looking for more stability in the EV battery supply chain. Those batteries did not contain cobalt, which is largely sourced from the Democratic Republic of Congo, and they don't contain nickel, prices of which skyrocketed in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. I spoke with one CEO, Bajaz, about the announcement and his company's ambitious plans. Here's our conversation. Mujib Ijaz, welcome back to Daily Drive. Good to be with you, Jamie, thank you. Great to have you again. So congratulations on this new plant announcement. You know, I've I've been in automobile assembly plants uh, many times over my uh, career, but I, I haven't been to a battery cell factory. What goes into a factory like that and what are sort of like the steps you need to go through to get it set up?
2: Yeah, the three phases of building a lithium ion cell. Uh, The first is a bunch of ingredients. If I were to make it like a baking of bread, you have the flour and all of the ingredients you have to mix together. Well, a battery is much in the same way a bunch of powdered ingredients that you mix together. And so the mixing area is stage one. And that's a very important assembly of all the, the raw materials. The second phase of a battery factory is coating those materials onto copper and aluminum as the negative and positive electrodes. And then that phase, you're basically putting a slurry down and then uh, drying it. And sort of think of it as painting something. And then with heat and other energy sources, you're, you're drying out and evaporating all of the liquids. Once you have that electrode, then the last phase is putting those together into a cell and then putting electrolyte and forming. And those three phases, it's quite large of an effort to build a lithium ion cell plant We'll have 2,000 employees uh, to make around 200,000 battery packs a year to give you an idea of sort of how many employees it takes to put uh, effort into making those cells. You have customers
0: for the cells that you're going to be making. Are they all spoken for?
2: Uh, no, they are not all spoken for. So that's a good plug for any of our automotive friends out there. Do call us and we're, we have capacity. Uh, but in the very beginning stages of the factory, What we do is we implement one line, then a second line, then a third line. And so we stage the implementation with the degree of certainty on the customer side. And as of right now, the very beginnings of the factory are quickly becoming spoken for. And then we're gonna move to the second and third phase as we start increasing the capacity over time. It takes about three years to fully realize the entire capacity of a plant this big.
0: I believe you have not identified uh, customers at this time. Can you can you characterize them? Are they startups? Are they incumbents? Are they North American or otherwise? Can you
2: say anything? Uh, yeah, I can say that we have seven uh, signed supply agreements for our products so far. Uh, and those supply agreements range from class three to six delivery vehicles. Uh, we have some development agreements with a major OEM to the beginnings of a program, but not something that's fully sourced for production. So we have that level of uh, engagement. Not all of them are at the same level of commitment on supply. What we're looking forward to is now that the factory is announced is solidifying the capacity allocation, which will be the very next step is now that we've announced the factory, we're gonna be looking to uh, drive clarity into where we're allocating uh, the volume of the factory.
0: The uh, vehicle makers know that you're going to be making cells, and they will know when they're coming online. <laughs> I suppose that's a, Yeah, that's right. That's and
2: exactly. And the U.S. Uh, cell manufacturing initiatives have kick-started a new level of awareness and even desire by the automotive companies because of the Inflation Reduction Act and the incentives that are being offered. Uh, it's making products more affordable at a battery level, but also incentives on the customer side as they're buying vehicles with U.S. content, U.S. cells that are manufactured, there's a much greater access to uh, incentives to buy electric vehicles. And so what we're seeing is OEMs are focused on how they're going to develop a U.S. supply chain and North American cell manufacturing where an OEM can buy from a battery company. That subject has taken root in a new way now.
0: Well, sure. So right there's the the two elements to getting the $7500 federal tax support for EVs one is that the components a certain percentage of the components each year are sourced in north america or other places where the us has free trade agreements and the other part is on the sourcing of the the critical minerals and materials in the first place cells would count as uh, important components right and making the cells here is going to go a long way toward your customers vehicles qualifying for federal support right or at least
2: a half of it exactly so as we make the cells here there's a 35 dollar per kilowatt hour advantage to the cost models as we make the pack here that's an additional 10 so it's 45 dollars per kilowatt hour which is a very good percentage of the cost of a total battery system, certainly more than a third, it's even approaching 40% at that level. But then there's one last phase of incentives, which you mentioned, and that is that the customers get tax rebates and incentive in buying a vehicle with more critical mineral, critical material content and free trade content. And so we're looking at our supply chain, making sure that we can offer OEMs the best advantages on cost models as we source the raw materials domestically and at least with free trade countries.
0: I, I know I keep seeing announcements about lithium extraction and even processing like in Canada, but there's such a demand. Can it even keep up? Are you confident you'll be able to secure lithium from, I guess, uh, from free trade partners?
2: Yeah, I think um, the lithium supply chain, along with the whole material supply chain, is a big topic for our company. Uh, As we look at lithium as a particularly important topic, we see four sources in North America that are emerging with lithium uh, intent to supply lithium, but are not yet fully mature. And as we are a company announcing new capacity, but we're also not fully mature in in the needs, there's actually a pretty good alignment as... They scale, we scale, and there's a sort of a stepwise benefit to that where we're not coming into the relationship mismatched with either not having enough lithium to the demand or having, you know, effectively way too much lithium to be willing to talk to a startup. Those two misalignments get resolved as we look at new sources coming online. Qualifying new sources is a step that we would take to help that company, but also then committing to us a security of supply would be the reason that we would be willing to qualify them. And in that relationship, I do see new sources of lithium as a a good way for us to go and North American content. Again, four of the organizations we're talking about would fit into this category, and I think that we're pretty excited about that.
0: I'm sure it's uh, no surprise to you, but uh, the prices of lithium have just kept going up. Uh, setting records, you know, it seems like week after week, month after month, your uh, lithium iron phosphate approach, you know, avoids cobalt, avoids nickel, both of which are expensive and problematic in other ways. But with the lithium, does the customer price adjust with the price of lithium? Or do they do the securing of the raw materials? Or is your business kind of dependent on the price of lithium, you know, when you buy it versus when you sell the cells to a customer?
2: Yeah, a normal supplier responsibility is to try to insulate their customers from fluctuations because no one likes to have variable pricing because variable pricing is you can't predict where it's going to go. Now, in the very recent year that lithium and a lot of other materials have gone up, partially due to the pandemic and partially due to I would say, a very aggressive overbuying of capacity where, you know, companies that are large enough are placing very large capacity holds on lithium as a material, as an example, that has caused the price to shoot up. But I don't think there's a long term supply demand problem with lithium, whereas cobalt does have a long term supply demand problem. And even if you tried to fix it, the sources are not known. In the case of lithium, the sources are known. Many companies are entering the business. Those business plans haven't fully been realized or matured. As that capacity comes online, then you can be sure their goal is to get the full market to realize the value of using their source. Pricing will adjust according to supply and demand. And so I think within three years, we'll see this lithium spike start to neutralize. It will. I don't think it'll come back to where it was in the past. I definitely think that those days are gone for $7 per uh, (laughs) kilogram or, you know, 7,000 per metric ton, however you want to look at it. That day is gone, I think. I don't think that we're going to be at $80 per kilogram either, which is where we have been in the recent days.
0: Thinking about the vehicles, the electric vehicles and and how they're used, how they're marketed. I know you've talked before about having sort of like a, a almost like a hybrid battery system, one for everyday use and, uh, you know, more modest distances and a second battery for, uh, you know, long trips and and heavy use. Will this new factory in Van Buren Township, will it make two different, are they different kinds of cells uh, to do those different jobs? And will you be able to do both of them from this factory or how does that work?
2: We are planning both of them from the factory. They will most likely physically look the same. And the internals or the chemistry and the electrodes and so forth will be uniquely positioned for each. But the physical, the outward facing attributes of the cell will likely be the same. The reason that we're excited about that dual chemistry approach is that gives us the ability to, first of all, delete graphite in the range extender cell. We're getting rid of a material that gets rid of the mixing and coding and that early discussion about The factory, well, half the beginning of this factory is deleted in the case of the secondary chemistry that we're developing for the range extender. And then we get to use a much lower cost cathode material than the ones that have been used for nickel cobalt chemistries to date. And as we're doing all of that, we've targeted $50 per kilowatt hour for the cost of that cell, which just to put that in perspective is a little below where lead acid batteries are selling for right now. And so we're, we're getting on the verge of developing a chemistry that has a very high energy density and a very low cost of the bill of materials, including the factory footprint being better on equipment and uh, overhead for employees and so forth. So I, I like where we're going on the dual chemistry. Now it's a matter of being able to commercialize it, get it to where it's fully validated and meets all the requirements, which is what we're working through right now.
0: Okay. Okay. We're we're running out of time, but I have to circle back. You said $50 per kilowatt hour isn't like a hundred is kind of considered a parity with ICE vehicles. Is that right? So you're talking about a significantly lower cost
2: uh, product. It's a significantly lower cost sell okay. than what is being offered in the market right now. And we think that will give us a leading position in this factory. All right.
0: Majiba CEO of Our Next Energy, a battery startup based in Michigan. Thank you for joining
2: me today. Thanks a lot, Jamie. Good being with you and take care.
0: That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters.
1: And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News Coordinating Producer Jake Neer for his help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on EV battery manufacturing, supply chain challenges, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com come back tomorrow for a look at how the pandemic changed how customers
0: communicate with dealership service departments if you enjoy the podcast remember to like leave a review and subscribe so you never miss an episode